During this series, Generous God, here's what we're doing. Uh, We're taking a look at how generous God has been to us. And in return, we're going to be talking about our own generosity and financial stewardship. So how many know that means we're going to be talking about money? Somebody say money. Now, how many know in your home, money is very important, right? It's important that we steward it well. It's important that we do our finances well. And we feel as a church that it's our responsibility not to just disciple and teach you how to pray, how to read God's word, how to do good marriage, how to do good parenting, how to do good business. But we also think that it's also the church's job to help people to see what God's word says when it comes to the area of stewardship and finances. Now, here's what I know. I know this. I know that for many non-Christians and for some Christians, that the subject of money and the church is a taboo subject. It is one of the largest hurdles that non-believers have when it comes to entering into the church. And um, I don't blame them, honestly. I mean, if you look around at some of the things that have happened in culture, there have been many pastors and TV evangelists that have done a very poor job at representing God's word in this area. In fact, I would use the word abuse. They've abused people and they've misused and twisted scripture for their own benefit. And, and here's our hope at the Grace Place. Our hope is this. Our hope is that if you have lost trust in the church in this area, we hope that we can be an example of Jesus when it comes to having conversations about stewardship and finances. And we hope that we would be able to do it with integrity and biblical accuracy. Uh, If you're new with us, talking about money, being your very first time at church. It's probably not like the thing that, for me at least, that I would go, man, I hope they come to church today. We're going to be talking about money. It's going to be perfect for them. But here's what I want you to know, that God's word is applicable to every person who walks through the building. How many know every single one of us need good stewardship principles in our life? Would you say amen to that? So last week, we talked about the heart of generosity. Today, we're going to be talking about the hands of generosity. Somebody say hands. Why hands? Here's why we're talking about the hands of generosity. It's because of this, because God uses his hands to extend his generosity to the world. And because God has blessed his people by giving us Jesus, he uses our hands to bless the world. How many know that's true? And the big question that we kind of poked at a little bit last week and we didn't answer is the same question we're going to poke at today, but we're going to answer it today. Some people want to get to the bottom line when it comes to money and giving to God. And, and we ask questions like, how much do I have to give to God? Well, how many know that that's, that's not the heart posture that God is looking for from us? We don't have to do anything. Um, In the law, there was a lot of have-tos, but under grace, God invites us to do a lot of things, and it's to our benefit. So today, here's the big question I want to address, and it's this question. It says, how much should I give? Everybody wants to know that question. How much should I, I give to God? Now, we're not giving to appease him. We're not giving to buy his love. In fact, we're giving because we have a generous response response to a God who's been incredibly generous to us. So today, we're going to take a look at a lot of scripture. Somebody say a lot. 
because I think it's really important that we're informed regarding what Scripture has to say about stewardship, generosity, and finances. So today, I'm going to do a little more teaching than preaching. I usually don't do much preaching anyways. I do more treaching, but we're going to do a little more teaching today. Are you okay with that? Teaching. Here's the text I want to use to set this up. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, just the first part of this verse. God uses the prophet Hosea to address the people of Israel who are under the old covenant law, and he's addressing them because they have turned their back on God. And in turning their back on God, they, they're suffering, they're frustrated, they're angry, and how many know that people love to blame their problems on God? And God steps into the scene to this people through the prophet Hosea, and he says this in chapter 4, verse number 6. He says, my people are destroyed. Why? Why, God? Why are they destroyed? Because of their lack of knowledge. God says, I have shown them the way to live a flourishing life, but they've turned their back on my knowledge that I've given them, and now they're suffering for it. They're, they're frustrated, uh, you're angry, you're anxious, and God's getting the blame for it. Now, how many know if somebody chooses to ignore the rules in your house, daddy, the rules in your house, mommy, and they choose not to do what you have expected the family to do. And let's just say that your child, your niece, your nephew, whomever may be living with you, starts to get upset and angry, and they're mad because they're not following any of the rules, and they're frustrated, and they're angry about all the things that they don't have and the things that are not going well in their life, and, and they want to turn around and blame it on the parents. How many know that most parents would probably say, you did this to yourself? I showed you how to live well in this house, and you've, you've chosen to turn away from my knowledge and my wisdom on how to do well in my house, and now you're suffering for it, and you're blaming me for it? Are you kidding me? I mean, how many parents do you know what I'm talking about? So today, we're going to talk about the hands of generosity, and I want us to pray and just ask God to open our hearts like we do every single week and speak to our hearts. He is uses pastors and teachers to communicate God's word, but he uses the Holy Spirit to transform hearts. So truthfully, it really doesn't matter what I say today. It really matters what the Holy Spirit has to say to you and I. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are today. God, we open our hearts and our minds to you, and we just ask that you would help us to see your word in ways, perhaps, that we have never seen it before. Help us to understand your generous nature. God, and help us to understand how you desire for us to extend our hands as your hands of generosity to the church and to the world. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Say amen real loud. Amen. Let's take a look at scripture to see what kind of knowledge we can gain and how we might be able to answer the question, how much is God inviting me to give? Here's the first thing I notice in your notes. I notice the pattern. I notice the pattern. See, there's a pattern in scripture that helps us understand what God is inviting us to give. And the first pattern I see in your notes is the pattern of tithes. Now, let's start by defining this word. The word tithe simply means this. It means, it means a tenth. 
And that's why you might hear a lot of pastors say that you should give a 10% tithe of your income to the local church. And, you know, many people might hear that and say, well, Sean, isn't the tithe a part of the law, a part of the old covenant? Hasn't that been fulfilled? Well, yes, it has been fulfilled. You are right about that. And why would we still talk about the law today? Why would we still talk about tithing? And and here's what I want to say as we approach this conversation at the Grace Place. We try to be very clear with you when it comes to applying Scripture to our life. Uh, As New Covenant believers, we do not apply the Old Covenant to our lives direct in a direct way the way the Israelites did. Rather, we live under a different kind of covenant with different kind of rules and different kinds of laws, and they are governed completely different than the way the old covenant was governed. In fact, most of us are probably not uh, Jews in the room today. We are, we are not the people of Israel who are called to live under this covenant. We're non-Jews, and the Bible calls us Gentiles, and as Gentiles, we were never invited to live under the old covenant. This was a covenant that was specifically directed towards the Israelites. So why are we talking about this? Well, because the same reason that God said don't murder in the law is the same reason in the new covenant God says, hey, don't even have hatred. It's what's happening in the heart that God is trying to draw our attention to. God wants to transform our hearts. That's why he draws attention and says, don't have hatred in the heart. The best way that a human would never murder is not so that they would just stand around and say, never murder, never murder, because they're going to be upset. They're going to be angry. So God helps them to redraw their attention back to their heart and help them to go, hey, I shouldn't even hold or harbor hatred in my heart. And if I take care of my heart issue... I'm never going to murder. It's never going to be a problem for me. And the same God who required a tithe from people is the same God under the new covenant that desires generosity from our hearts. Do you hear what I'm talking about today? Let's take a look at the the pattern throughout scripture. In your notes, we see the pattern of, of tithe before the law. We see it before the law. See, both Abraham and Jacob are seen tithing in scripture before the law was ever given. Let's take a look at just one of these occurrences. Let's look at Jacob, the the grandson of Abraham. He's found tithing in Genesis 28 and 22. And, And here's what happens. Jacob had a dream. He had been running from God, and so he has this dream. And, and many people say that during this dream, it was a conversion moment for him. So how many know that when God touches your heart with grace, you're overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude? How many know that happens to us? And, and Jacob was overwhelmed by the touch of a generous God. So what does Jacob do as a, as a natural response of somebody who's been touched by the hands of a generous God? Genesis 28 and 22, here's what it says. Jacob says, and this stone that I have set up, he, he sets up a pillar and a stone as, as a remembrance. He said, this stone will be God's house. And of all that you give me, God, I will give you a tenth. How many know the word tithe means tenth? So Jacob is saying, God, I've been touched by your generosity. And because of that, somebody say all. I am going to give all that you give me, a tenth of everything. See, in this moment, as Jacob is touched by God, what is the first thing he does? He desires to give. 
He desires to worship. He desires to extend generosity back to God. Here's what's so interesting to me. It's interesting to me that there was no law given for him to do this. God never commanded for him to give anything back to God. He didn't require it. He didn't even ask of it. But what is the natural human response when someone's kind to you? I want to be kind back to them. How many know you're really nice to the people that are nice to you, aren't you? And you're probably really generous to the people who are generous with you. And that's exactly what's happening here. We notice this pattern before the law, but in your notes, we also know it, notice it during the law. In fact, there is a law given of the tithe found in Leviticus 27 and 30. Now, again, the children of Israel had lost sight of God, and, and they were serving God really well at one point, but they began to be ungrateful, and they were, they were grumbling. In fact, they were not a very shining example when it comes to the people of God. And, and remember, Hosea said, you're being destroyed because of your lack of knowledge. And so the Israelites were being destroyed. How many know that God doesn't want us to be destroyed? So God, in his kindness, shows back up to his people the Israelites, and he gives them a law. And he wants them to know, if you live according to this way, you won't be destroyed. You won't, you won't suffer. You won't be frustrated. You won't lack anything. In fact, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to provide really, really well for you. Here's what it looks like, Leviticus 27 7 and 30. Here's the law that's given to the children of Israel. Remember, not to us, but to the children of Israel. It says, the tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's It's holy to the Lord. See, for those who were under the law, the first 10% of everything that the Israelites would harvest, how many know you harvest every day? You might not like harvest, uh, you know, bananas and fruits and nuts, but you go out and you work and you you harvest a wage. It's called your paycheck. And, And what God said of these guys, everything that you harvest, I want you to give back 10% to me. How many think they remained obedient with that? Yeah, no, no, they, they didn't. I, I think it's pretty, pretty simple to know that human nature, we just, we tend to just deter away from the things that God desires from us. And, and so God in his kindness again, do you see God's kindness? In his kindness again, he sends them another prophet because once again, they're, they're being destroyed. They're frustrated, angry because why? They've turned away from God's wisdom. So he sends them another prophet named Malachi. Malachi 3. Verse 8 through 10, probably one of the most famous uh, tithing scriptures of all the Bible. And, and I frankly, I think a lot of people have used this scripture wrong. They've taken this and tried to apply it directly to God's people under a new covenant. But how many know that we're not under the old covenant? We're under a new covenant. But even though we're under a new covenant... We understand that the law wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. There are some things we can learn from it. So here's what happens. So Israel, once again, is is, uh, being disobedient to God, and he sends in this prophet. And God poses a question to the people. Verse number eight, he says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Now, to the Israelites, I'm sure they're thinking, no way. I mean, no human has the ability to rob God. They they would never do it. Even if they attempted to do it, that'd be really dumb of them. Well, here's what God says. In fact, actually, you have robbed me. But you ask, God says, how are we robbing you? God's reply is this. You're robbing me in the tithes and the offering. He's saying, "You've, you've turned away from me. You've turned away from my knowledge. And so what happens now? Verse number eight, he tells the people, you're under a curse your whole nation because you're robbing me. 
And I don't want it that way. This is what I see God saying. I don't want it that way for you. So here's how you can turn back to me. He says, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Not part of it, not a little bit of it. And here's why God says, I want you to bring it in the storehouse, that there would be food in my house. How many know that God feeds people from his house? And he wants to make sure that the children of Israel don't go hungry. He wants to make sure that his people are fed. See, here's what I think is important to understand about this text today. That God is telling his people, you're robbing me. And I think, in fact, they're robbing him, not in just the tithe. They're robbing him in two ways. One, they're robbing him in the the tithe, no doubt. But the second way they're robbing him is, is this. God wants to display his generosity to the world and feed his people from his house. And they've robbed him from that too. He can't feed his people from the storehouse because no one's bringing anything into the storehouse. Should we take this literally? No, we shouldn't. As New Covenant believers, we should not take this literally. And and here's what I know. Some of you have been told that you're cursed because you don't tithe. Does the Bible say that? Yes, it does. But to people under the old covenant, not to you and I. Here is what I know, and and that might be mind-blowing, and it may be shocking for some of you today, but here's what I know. Under the new covenant, here's what is declared to us, Galatians 3 and 13. It says this, if you're a believer in Jesus, here's what's happened to you. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you hear that? Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. And the way that the, that the people of Israel were cursed when they did not give because it was a law that was instituted between God and them, Jesus came and he, he took on the curse of the law on himself so that you and I would not be cursed. That's why the writer in Galatians, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Think about that for a moment. God says, Rather than you being cursed, I'm going to take on the curses myself for you. Isn't that a pretty generous God? Why would we bring the tithe into the storehouse? Well, how many know that many of the people in this time, they lived off of agriculture. They understood farming. We still do today, but it's done behind closed doors. You, you wouldn't even know it. You just think fruit and lettuce just pops up in the grocery store. But these guys lived and they lived around agriculture. Farming was a huge part of their industry. And the local storehouse is what physically fed the communities. And in a spiritual sense for you and I, the local storehouse is what also so spiritually feeds us. What is the local storehouse? It is the church. And, and I want you to know today that God is still feeding his people from the storehouse. Say amen to that. And that's why we bring our tithe into the storehouse. There's a pattern of tithing set out in Scripture, but there's another pattern in your notes that I noticed throughout Scripture. There's the pattern of the test. The pattern of the test. Now, I'm not really big on numerology. You know, there are times where you do see patterns and numbers in Scripture, and they they can help us to understand, and they can help us to know some things. But I don't think every number is a prophecy, so we'll just throw that out there. But here's what I see in Scripture, that I believe that, that tithing 
is a test of the heart. Why? God asks us to give a tenth, a tithe. The number 10 throughout scripture actually represents testing. In fact, in Malachi, God says to the children of Israel, test me in this and I will prove to you that I'm a generous God. I will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Here's some testings that I noticed in scripture. God gave us how many commandments? To test the heart of the Israelites to see if their heart was really turned towards God or not. How many virgins were there in the New Testament? And the virgins' hearts were tested the way that they stewarded the oil to make sure that the bridegroom, that they would have some when he came. came, They were tested. How many plagues were there when God sent plagues to Pharaoh? Ten plagues to Pharaoh. God was testing Pharaoh's heart to see if he was going to turn and and make a different choice, make a different decision. You, You get the point today. I believe that God is testing us when it comes to generosity, not as a matter of the law, but as a matter of the heart. And we see this all throughout scripture. You know, every time we experience an increase from God, God is asking us a question. And here's the question I believe he's asking us. Do you trust me? That's it. Do you trust me? And when we tithe, we're showing God with our actions, not just our words, yes, God, I trust you. You doing okay? We're talking about the hands of generosity. If God is going to use our hands and extend his generosity through us, how much do we need to give to God? What, 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 is, what is the rule? What is the law? Are you catching it? There is no rule. There is no law. God is after our hearts. And when God captures our hearts and we understand generosity, we can't help but be generous ourselves. And scripture gives us a pattern for generosity. And, and we begin to see this pattern. It's a, a pattern of giving a, a tent. It's a pattern pattern of of giving part of what God has given us back to him. The second thing I notice in your notes is this, the principle. Somebody say principle. principle. Not only is there patterns in scripture for us to recognize, but there's principles. It doesn't matter if it was before the law, if it if it's happening during the law or after the law. We see patterns and principles all throughout scripture. But here's something that we notice. We notice that there's a change in language as we enter into the New Testament, because Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to slowly reveal a new way of living, one that is different from the old covenant, but something that is completely different, a type of living that is not from rules and laws, but a type of living that is from the heart. And how many know Jesus knows how to do this thing? His ways are pretty good. In fact, Jesus knows that when a a person, a human, is touched by a generous God, they don't need laws or fear of punishment to spur them on to be generous. He's that confident in his love. He's that confident in his generosity. He knows what his generosity does to a human heart. In fact, the same way that Abraham and Jacob gave to God out of love with no laws and no commands, pure love, or the same way that we ought to be generous and give back to God. In fact, here's what 1 John 4 and 8 says. It says this, 1 John 4, 8. There's no fear. Somebody say fear in love. Should you be scared? If you're a believer in Jesus, should you be in fear? 
The answer to that is no. This is me help you out. If you are in Christ, there's no fear in love. Why? Because perfect love, how many know that the only perfect person who knows how to perfectly love us is Jesus? How many know that? The perfect love of Jesus drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. If you fear, you don't understand love. If you fear, you don't understand Jesus. If you fear, you don't understand the gospel. If you fear, when it comes to giving, it just means that you don't understand who our generous God is. You don't understand how radically he has loved you and extended his kindness and generosity to you. I want us to notice some principles, and here's a couple principles. The first principle in your notes is this. It's the first fruit principle. It answers the question, well, God, I know that I'm supposed to be generous with you with all of my increase, but God, when, when, should, I, when should I do that? When, when should I be generous with you? In your notes, we should be generous, and this is the first fruits principle, the first fruits principle. The same way that Jacob and Abraham, as soon as they were touched by the generous hand of God, they immediately gave as a first fruits response. Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says in 3.9, it says, here, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, somebody say first, first fruits of your crops. Does God want our second best? He wants our first best, right? And you know that because how many know that your spouse, do they want your second best? No, they want your first best, right? Your, your kids want like the second best kind of parent or they want the first best kind of parent? Yeah, we, we want the first, we want the first. Why? Because the first is the best. And in agriculture, in, in the farming world, they got paid through their fruits and their crops and everything that they harvest. And God said, I want you to give me the, the first of your fruits, and so God is asking us, I don't want the last of your fruits. I want the first of your wages. I want the first of your fruits is what God is saying here in Proverbs. In fact, he also says this, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus puts it like this. Let's read it together. But seek first, somebody say first, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you see the principle? Yeah. And this principle works for every area of your life. Every area. Seek first what? God's kingdom. So what, what is God saying? Well, hey, in the morning, your first words, as beautiful as your wife is when she wakes up in the morning with spit coming down her cheek, my wife doesn't do that. I'm just saying, I know some of yours do. <laughs> my first words are not, hey, baby, my first words are good morning, God. Yeah. Yeah. My first priority over everything is not my wife. It's not my kids. It's the kingdom of God. It's, it's Jesus. He is my first priority. My first priority with my paycheck yeah. is not my mortgage, it's not my food budget, and I wish, it, I wish it was, but it's not. It's my tithe. If I got paid $1,000 a week, $100 of that, because that's a tenth of $1,000, would go where? To my local storehouse. Why? Because God feeds his people 
from his house. This morning, if you're getting water baptized, uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and grab all your, your baptism gear, all your stuff, your towel, and your change of clothes, and uh, you can head to meet Pastor Bruce. Change first. Meet him in the fellowship hall right behind me, and we will get ready to have you baptized here pretty soon. And I will say this, if you've never been water baptized, and you know what it's all about, and you've been wanting to do it, we can baptize you today. We've got towels, clothes, we've got everything for you, so you can head to the back, you can grab some clothes for yourself, you can change, and we will baptize you as well this morning. We're talking about the principles of giving. Here's the next principle I see in your notes. I see this, the harvest principle. Somebody say, harvest. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. Um, we're reminded of this by Paul. Here's what it says. Um, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. How should we also sow? Well, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Well, because God's after our heart and he wants us to be happy when we give. He wants us to be cheerful when we give. He doesn't want us to be fearful and and afraid that he's gonna crush us and destroy us. He wants us to give out of a generous, cheerful heart because we're grateful for what he has done for us. Here's what the harvest principle is saying. It's saying that we cannot reap what we don't sow. And so many of us want to reap, but we've never sown before. The harvest principle is saying if you sow a little, you get a little. If you sow a lot, you get a lot. Now, I also want to just mention this. This is a principle. This is not a promise. This is not a magic potion. You can't twist God's arm. You can't make him do things for you that that is not in his will to do. But we ought to be generous. We ought to apply this principle to our life. And here's what I know. When somebody turns from God's principles, they're going to struggle because God is cursing them? I'm going to say, if you're a believer because God is cursing you? No. Because you've done a really practical thing. You've turned away, like Hosea said, from the knowledge of God. He, he told you how to live your life. He showed you a way to, to live and flourish and be blessed. But you turned your way, your, your, yourself away from his knowledge and from his principles. And so you're struggling for it. And here's what else I know, is you're definitely not reaping the way that God desires for you to reap. And by the way, this is a principle that can work in any area of your life. You don't sow into your marriage, you're not going to have a good marriage. You don't sow into your kids, you're not going to have a great relationship with your kids. You don't sow your heart into your place of employment, you're probably not going to like your job. That's just, that's just how it works. You don't sow into the kingdom of God, you're not going to be flourishing spiritually. You don't sow into others financially, they're never going to sow into you financially. It's just a principle of God. How many of you know that's practical? We asked in the opening question, how much should I give to God? So pretty much. After we've looked at a lot of scripture today, here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that there is a great reason, somebody say great, it's a great reason in scripture to follow the 10% tithe pattern that we see all throughout scripture and follow the generosity pattern that we see in scripture. And here's what I believe. I believe that 10% is a great starting point if you have never lived the pattern of tithing in your life. Not as a law. You don't do it as a law. You just do it as a generous person. And here's what I know. 
you will, you will never start getting strong when it comes to being generous until you just start doing it. It's kind of like working out. We said that last week. You can't just hope one day to have massive arms and massive pecs like me. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, I'm re- wearing this really big and baggy shirt just because I don't want you guys to see, like, all the things that I'm loaded with here. But I, I will never get this loaded unless I start working out first. How many know that's true? And, and as I work out, I build. And so you will never understand generosity until you just begin. And we don't do it as a law. We do it because we have a generous God. The last thing I, I want to mention in your notes is this last principle. It's the stewardship principle. And I want to close with a story. It, it comes from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. See, God desires us to be good stewards you hear, you hear that? A good steward. God gave you children to be a good steward with. He gave you a spouse. He gave you wonderful friends. He gave you a great job. In fact, Psalms 24 says, all of the earth and everything in it belongs to God. So that means that everything that we have was once his. And what did he do in his generosity? Give it to you. And he asks us to be a good steward of it. I'm going to take the parable of the talent, and I'm going to just tell you a story to give you a picture in modern day of what it might look like. And I'm going to use my wife, Krista, in this story, and um, I'm going to use Miss Cynthia, Alicia, and Tyler, okay? You guys okay if I use you as a little example? Um, This is not a real story, by the way, okay? The story ends good for two of them, but it doesn't end good for one of them. I'm not sure which one of them I'm going to pick for that one yet. But I want you to imagine this. Now, you all know that Chris is my wife, right? And it's part of my job to take care of my wife and provide for her. I mean, that's true. And I want you to imagine that I'm going to go away on a six-month mission trip, and, um, and I'm going to need to make sure that my wife is taken care of while I'm gone. And so I'm going to... Um, take care of her through these three people right here, through Cynthia, Alicia, and Tyler. And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to give each one of you $10,000 a month. You excited? And all I want you to do, I want you to take care of my wife while I'm gone, okay? It's $1,000 from each one of you, so $3,000 to you. This is not real, babe. Don't get excited. <laughs> and all I'm going to ask of you to just give a tenth of what I've given you, $10,000 to each one of you, and 1000 from each one of you, $3,000 to my wife, I know I'm not doing really good at taking care of her every month, just $3,000 a month, but hey, just, you know, Social Security, whatever, you know. And I'm going to come back, and I'm going to check in to see how things are going. And so after a couple months, I come back from my, uh, well, I, I, I get on FaceTime, and I, I'm checking on my wife to see how things are going a couple months in. And, and I come to Chris, and I say, hey, how, how are they doing? Are they, are they taking good care of you, baby? You're my bride. You're my wife. And you know I love you, and I'm going to take care of you. And Chris is like, well, you know, um, Cynthia, she's actually doing really good. Um, she's, every month, she gives me my $1,000. Awesome, man. Wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Cynthia, thank you. And, and Alicia... She's actually giving $2,000 a month, more than what you asked. I'm like, wow, really? I can't believe Alicia is that generous. Um, Okay, thank you. I'm going to definitely tell her thank you. And Tyler, Tyler, somebody say Tyler. How's Tyler doing? Well, Krista says Tyler gave $500 the first month, and the second month he gave $100, and 
And I haven't seen anything from him for the last couple months. Really? Okay. I mean, I gave Tyler $10,000 a month, and all I needed him to do was just to take care of you. How many know the stewardship principle? It's a personal principle to God. It's not just a a nicey-nice principle. It's personal to God. And so I'm going to come back. And I'm going to come and meet these guys. I'm going to congratulate them. I'm going to hug these two ladies. And you know what I'm going to do to Tyler? I'm going to say, Tyler, you know, I was giving you $10,000 a month to to bless you. But all I needed you to do out of that is take care of my bride. And you didn't do that. And I promised my bride that I would take care of her. So I'm going to take the $10,000 that I was giving to you. And I'm going to give five to Alicia and five to her mom because I know that when I put it in their hands they're thankful for what I've done for them and they're generous and they want to take care of my bride see when God can't trust us to be good stewards how many know it's personal to him he's taking care of the bride through the storehouse. And so it only makes sense. I mean, how many would you do that? How many of you would do that? If you had people who, who did exactly what you requested of them to do and they took care of your house, how many would put all your eggs in that basket? You want to make sure that, okay, they're, they're doing the right thing. And so today, if, if you have never become a generous giver before, I just... I want to ask you to just talk to the Holy Spirit. And here's what I know, that he's already been talking today. And if you have never become a generous giver, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to just to reveal his word to you. Uh, in fact, this message is not for the church. Sometimes people think, oh, the preacher's trying to get more money in the church. This is not for the church. This is for you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to bless you. He's going to trust you. And when we're people that he can trust, he's going to sow into our life because he knows that we're going to continue to sow to those around us. And that includes sowing into our family. That includes sowing into our kids. That includes sowing into our friends and the people that we love. That includes sowing into the local storehouse. So today I hope that God's word has given you a different kind of picture when it comes to generosity and when it comes to giving. And I want to invite everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes today. If you're in the room today, I know this is so different because we talked about money, but I want you to know first before everything, God has always been forgiving. He's been forgiving to forgive you. And he gave his one and only son. He didn't give a 10th of what he had. He gave all that he had to die, his son, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And today, if, if you have never made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, he wants to invite you to come back home today. And Ephesians 2.8 says, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. So how do I get saved? If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, how do I give my life to him? It's really simple. Well, number one, he actually gave his life to you. And what you do is you just surrender yours to his. And how do you do that? You do that by faith. And faith is simply 
describes what happens in your heart when you begin to understand your need for God. You recognize your sin and you recognize how good he is. You recognize that you could never in your power stop sinning because sin is ugly. It's tempting. It's alluring. It will pull us in and it will only lead us to one place. But we understand that by faith, we begin to understand that Jesus will forgive us of our sin. He will take our place on the cross and he will give us the life he intended us to live from the very beginning. And if that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up and down just long enough so that I could see it. Is there anybody in the room? I do not know Jesus. And today I want to surrender my life to him and give my heart to him. Anybody in the room? Can I pray for you today? Just as a pastor, as a shepherd, it's, it's uh, not the shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus. He's the good shepherd. I'm just a shepherd. But I want to pray over you that God's word would just sink deep into the deepest parts of your heart and begin to take root. How many would be good, okay with that prayer? Father, we love you and we thank you today. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you, number one, for Jesus. We thank you that you led the way in generosity. God, we pray that you would reveal to our hearts how radically generous you have been to us. And God, I know that as we begin to understand how generous you've been, how good the gospel really is, God, in a natural response, we're gonna wanna sow back. We're gonna wanna give back. We're gonna wanna love you back in ways that we never imagined, in ways that we never dreamed. So God, give us a revelation of your gospel. God, and help us to be people that are a mirror image of you. We know that you use people to bless your church. You use people to bless the world. You use people to be messengers of the gospel. And so God, we just open our hearts and say, would you use me, God? Extend my hands as your hands of generosity. In Jesus' name, somebody say a big amen. Amen. Hey, are you grateful to God? He's so good to us, right?